that has breath. Praise the Lord. And so we are here today to offer you the praise from our lips and our singing, and also the praise that is in our hearts as we consider your truth today. We thank you for what we've already heard, and our attention has been pointed to the truth of Scripture. And the Bible is the very foundation of all that we believe and all that we practice. And we thank you for the emphasis on truth and objective truth. We pray that you would help us in a day where a relativistic understanding of truth is so pervasive in our society that we would fall back on the bedrock of the truth of your word. We pray for our time together in the second session that we would know your help and give us understanding of what's being presented to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you just joining, Mr. Tay is our speaker. Uh, he's originally from Singapore. He gave a little bit of a biographical sketch of himself at the beginning of his first talk. I don't know if he's necessarily going to go through all that uh, for all the others. But uh, after this, during the meal time, uh, you'll have plenty of time to meet him and speak with him. But he's originally from Singapore. He has many degrees, uh, theological degrees, scientific degrees, uh, and we're very, very encouraged and blessed as he spoke to us this first time. So, uh, Mr. Tay, if you'll come and speak to us again. Welcome back. Can you hear me at the back? Okay, so I don't have to introduce myself, but you know me. But in case you're wondering how our office in Georgia looks like, that's our office, me and my family. This was my daughter, she was a bit younger, so my son's not in this picture yet. But who would like to have dinosaurs in office? Right, so dinosaurs, that's a topic I'm really passionate about. Uh, but for those who are not here, we have a website with 15,000 articles on creation and evolution. Check it out. It's creation.com. So what will we be talking about in this session here? These are some of the questions. Have you ever wondered, do dinosaurs prove evolution? And what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? I mean, is the word dinosaur even in the Bible? And we're going to look at dinosaur fossils. We're going to see good evidence of the worldwide flood. Then we're going to show you some artifacts that show you that people were familiar with these creatures. And these creatures only went extinct in the much more recent years. And later on, one of the most exciting areas in creation research today is dinosaur soft tissue. So we'll look at some of that. By the way, when I'm talking about soft tissue, I'm talking about original biomolecules that are still present in dinosaur bones. So when I was young, this was my favorite movie. Okay, so Jurassic Park fans, who are you? Okay, some of you. So to Jurassic Park or Jurassic World fans, here's a question for you. In the very first Jurassic Park, what's the name of this dinosaur? Well, everybody say Velociraptor, right? Well, that's a... That's not Velociraptor, that's the bigger car, Anonychus. You see, the real Velociraptor, even though I know you have watched the movie, the real Velociraptor is actually about the size of a large dog. Okay, so why do they call it Velociraptor in the movies? You see, when the makers of the movie made the Deinonychus, which is the one that they call the raptors now, it's really big, right? But the name Deinonychus, that sounds really boring. So what they did is they, they made Deinonychus and they smaller cousin, Velociraptor. And so for one whole generation, people like me grew up, I thought that was the Velociraptor. But hey, that's another side of the story. That's actually Deinonychus. Okay, of course, in the latest Jurassic World series, they just make those even bigger, and they just, just call them raptors altogether. But you see, why did I show you that illustration? You see, it's Deinonychus, but most of the time, people like me, for one whole generation, I grew up, all I heard was that that was Velociraptor. So I thought that was Velociraptor. But that's another side of the story. So in the same way, when kids go to school, they go to, to the museums, cinemas, all that, do they learn about millions of years of creation? Millions of years, evolution. And many times... So that's why... See, the, the culture has a really big influence on us. See, if I say dinosaur, what's the first image that comes to mind? For a lot of you, you think of terrifying animals and you think of this picture where you have this volcano in the background and strange-looking plants on the other side. You have that in your mind? Why do you have that picture in your mind? See, whether you realize it or not, you have already subconsciously been influenced by the culture around you. 
But if you believe in evolution, this is what you actually believe. You believe that there was a Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago and the planets formed. That's cosmic evolution. Then there was the, cos- the, the primordial soup on Earth that formed, and then the first, from the first primordial soup, the first cell formed into being. That's the chemical evolution. And from that one living cell evolved into form all other life forms today. That's biological evolution. So if you believe in evolution, that is what you believe about our origins. But the Bible gives us a very different picture. The Bible says there was, God created the world in six days, about 6,000 years ago. There was a real Adam Eve who fell into sin. They brought sin, death, and suffering to this world. And later on, there was a worldwide flood where God the whole world except for the eight who were on board the flood. And then later on, there was the Tower of Babel. And God separated uh, people groups into different languages, which then spread out all over the world. So the Bible presents a very different picture of history from the circular explanation. So why are we speaking about the Bible? Like I say in the first session, it boils down to this question. What is the authority and can you trust the word of God? You see, this tool that has been used to promote dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs have been used to promote the idea of millions of years in evolution. But we believe that when you train yourself, starting with the word of God, and then look at the science around you, you can actually use dinosaurs as a stepping stone to share the gospel with your friends. And that's why we call dinosaurs missionary lizards. You see, when you think about dinosaurs, we need to start from the Bible. So let's try doing that, right? Here's a quiz for you. So the, t- the T-Rex has really sharp teeth that are six inches long. So what would its original diet be? Plant eater, meat eater, scavenger, or plant and meat eater? Who thinks the original diet is plant eater? Okay, meat eater? Scavenger? Plant and meat? Remember what we said in the first session today? The Bible tells us that all creatures at the beginning, he gave green plants to eat. So every, there was no death, no disease, no suffering. All creatures only eat green plants. And God only gave Noah permission to eat meat after the fall, after the flood. But in the beginning, there was no death. God saw all he had created, and it was very good. But you say to me, Come on, how can you say that, that those T-Rex, the shop team, originally ate plants? I mean, it's like this cartoon say, right? Come on, look at these fangs. Look at these claws. You think we're supposed to just eat honey and berries? <laughs> well, you know, if you go to a zoo, they will have something like that. They say that although all bears have teeth designed for eating meat, the diet mainly consists of plants. Since just having sharp teeth alone can give you an educated guess, but doesn't tell you definitely what they ate. So here I have four bears. Polar bear, a brown bear, a grizzly bear, panda, and sun bear. What does a polar bear eat? <coughs> Mostly meat. Fish, seals, you know, and all that meat is a carnivore. What about the brown bear or grizzly bear? It's fish, but what else does it eat? It eats fruits, it eats berries, right? So it's a mix. It's omnivore with meat and plants. What about panda? What does it eat? Bamboo. And what about sun bear? It's insects and plants. So here we have four different types of bears. There's four very different types of diets. But let's look at their teeth. They all have the same sharp teeth. So just because you have sharp teeth alone doesn't tell you what a creature eats. I'm sure we've all heard of the term adaptation. Here's a new term for you, acceptation. So what's that? This is the idea that creatures can use the same tools for multiple purposes. See, the same claws that's good for clubbing a seal on its head is going to be for collecting berries off a tree. The same strong jaw that's used for crushing, crunching the head of a seal will be useful for crunching tough plant material. So, acceptation is the idea that before that they were using all these things to eat plants, and after the fall, some of these creatures began to use it to eat one another and things like that. So if the fall did not happen, something like that would have been very, could have been very possible. So my point here is that we need to train ourselves to start with the word of God and then use that to look at the signs around us. But you say to me, are you sure that it made? Well, actually the meat-eating dinosaurs, the teropod dinosaurs, these are the ones with big legs and small arms. Scientists tell us today that slightly more than half of them actually ate plants. But what did I just say? I say slightly more than half. That means that some of them later on ate meat. So if God created the dinosaurs to eat plants and later on some of them 
eat meat. How do we know? Well, one way we can tell what they eat is by looking at their fossils. So in this case, you have a dinosaur uh, that has its teeth marks found on another dinosaur tooth. We know that they were eating one another. Here's another one. You saw this in the first talk as well, where you have a T-Rex tooth stuck in between two joints of a hedrosaur or duck-billed dinosaur, fusing the bone together. So they were eating one another after sin had entered the world. Another way we know what dinosaurs eat is by looking at their fossil droppings. So many years ago when I was a teenager, I was a bit mischievous, you know. In my early 20s, I'll take a piece of dinosaur dunk and I will not tell my friends what it is. I said, smell it, taste it, and guess what it is. <laughs> you know? I, I won't do that to you today, okay? But if you look at it under the microscope, you can actually see what a dinosaur eats. And this was a surprise for evolutionists because we find the remnants of grass. And this was a surprise because evolutionists used to teach that grass did not yet came to existence until 10 million years after dinosaurs died out. But when they look at dinosaur droppings, what did they find? Grass. We say here, depicting dinosaurs munching on grass was considered by experts to be as foolish as showing prehistoric humans hunting dinosaurs with spears. So if you go to a museum from where I am in, in Atlanta, it says this, grass did not yet exist in the time of dinosaurs. But in the last 10 years, now evolutionary scientists themselves have, you know, have started to accept that. So what do they do? They just push the origin of grass much further back in time. But we have that in Creation Magazine, grass-eating dinosaurs, time travel problem for evolution. See, good science is catching up with the Bible. Another way we know what dinosaurs eat is by looking at their stomach content. So here in this stomach content, the remains of a dinosaur, we see the remains of three birds in the stomach. So dinosaurs eat birds. This, this is an artist's impression of what happened back then. <laughs> you say dinosaurs eat birds? I thought dinosaurs evolved into birds. Well, it turns out dinosaurs were actually eating birds. So like we say here, the recent discoveries of the contents of dinosaurs' stomachs pose a gut-wrenching challenge to the idea that dinosaurs gave rise to birds. Because it now turns out, dinosaurs ate them. What else can we tell? Dinosaurs eat birds, and dinosaurs eat mammals. Mammal in its gut. And we know that mammals eat small dinosaurs. Like here. A couple of years ago, I went back to Singapore, and I went to the zoo. And do not ask me why, but they had a dinosaur exhibition, even though I didn't see any dinosaurs there. <laughs> but they had a sign. And the sign says this, dinosaurs didn't walk alone. They live alongside birds and mammals, such as this creature you see here. Okay, this record-looking mammal measured one meter in length and hunted smaller dinosaurs, such as the Cicacosaurus. So dinosaurs eating birds, dinosaurs eating mammals, mammals eating dinosaurs. Yeah, when was the last time you've been to a museum and you've seen all these creatures all in the same display? Why don't they do that? Because that doesn't match this stereotypical image that people have of an age of dinosaurs, right? All the creatures here, they were there together. So is there evidence that the dinosaur fossils that we see are caused by a big flood? So I covered this in the, in the last session as well, but for those who are not here, this is what a textbook will say. A dinosaur dies, you know, after millions of years, it's slowly being buried. There's a rock lace you see here. And then due to erosion, the bones are exposed. You get for yourself a fossil forming. But how can you get a fossil forming if it's well preserved? We already show why that's not possible. It would decay away, it rots away. How can you explain that we have very well-preserved dinosaur fossils like this? And these two dinosaurs were fighting together, and they were preserved. Something happened so quickly, they're forever stuck in this fighting pose. The dinosaur on the left has bitten off the arm of the dinosaur on the right, the velociraptor here. And the velociraptor has his claw in the neck of the dinosaur on the left. And something happened so quickly, they're forever stuck in that pose. Is that millions of years? Or is that catastrophe and rapid barrier? This is an artist's impression. What happened before they were frozen in time? But that is exactly what we would expect to see if there was a worldwide flood. We expect to see well-preserved fossils, billions of dead things all over the earth. And if you are like me, read dinosaurs all the time, you know that one way we find dinosaurs, we find their bones in what we call dinosaur bone beds. So these are places, many places around the world, where you have tens of thousands of dinosaurs 
Their bones are all mixed together, jumbled together, mixed together with marine fossils like clams and fish. How do you get something like that? In Canada alone, there are two dozen of these bone beds, and some of these are so big, they stretch over one square mile. How do you get that forming? Surely all these dinosaurs did not say, hey, let's all die together in one corner. <laughs> right? And why would their bones be mixed together with marine fossils like clams and fish? But if you have a worldwide flood, you have water sorting action. This water will bring all these carcasses from huge areas, sorting them out together in one pile and rapidly burying them in that pile so they're forever well preserved in huge bone beds all over the world. That should tell you worldwide flood. What else do we see from dinosaur bones? A lot of these dinosaurs that have the long necks, including the, the terrapod dinosaur, the big legs and small arms, they have these long necks. Their fossils are found in this very strange death pose. The necks are bent backwards and their tail are bent backwards in the opposite direction, just like that. How do we get something like that? No creature sleeps like that. Well, you know, these dinosaurs that have a long neck, they actually have a ligament that runs down the back of the neck. And chickens have the same ligament. And so they did experiments. And so Alicia Cutler, she's a researcher, and she, she took chickens, she, they can harden, and she threw them in cold water. And within seconds, the, the ligament contracts, and all the head backwards. You see, when the creature's alive, the weight of the body is such, it doesn't bend back. But when they're dead now, and they're buoyant in water, when it contracts, all the head bend back, and they take on that pose. She did the same thing on emus, on big birds. The same thing happened. But when she cut the ligament, the heads no longer bend back. And she said this, although the road to the opistotonic death pose, that's the pose you saw earlier on, are many, immersion in water is the simplest explanation. So when we find dinosaur bone beds, that tells you, worldwide flood. When you see all these dinosaurs with the heads bent backwards all over the world, that tells you at the time of death, they were in water. What about armored dinosaurs? Now this is interesting because armored dinosaurs next. So how do we find them? So let's look at this. This is in uh, National Geographic in June 2017. <coughs> they found the best preserved nodosaurs, the armored dinosaurs, best preserved one of its kind. It was so well preserved that it was preserved in its three-dimensional shape with the, with the armor still there. Remnants three-dimensional preservation, partially mineralized, that means not completely turned to stone. Remnants of its last meal, patches of skin, reddish pigment, dinosaur armor. This huge creature, which is about 3,000 feet in weight, was said to have been swept away in a flood river into open sea and then buried almost 100 meters into the, in the open sea, upside down in the un, rapid undersea barrier. Upside down. What's, in, what's going on here? So this is in June. They found this armored dinosaur that was found upside down. Turns out in May of that very same year, one month before this, another group of scientists found another very well-preserved armored dinosaur, again, the best of its kind. This time around, it was Ankylosaurus. This is the armored dinosaur that has a club at the end. Okay, and again, it says, abundant soft tissue preservation of skeleton, including bony skin armor, skin impression, keratin, that's protein, okay, it's still there. And again, the skeleton was buried upside down. What's going on? May, one upside down. June, one upside down. So by September, another group of scientists got really curious. So they looked at armored dinosaurs that they could find in Canada. And it turns out that 70% of all armored dinosaurs are actually found upside down. So it's very strange, right? So they did some balancing studies. studies and become very unstable. And all you need is for a big wave to come along and these dinosaurs will just go turtle up. To show that Ankylosaurus likely flipped over while suspended in water. Interesting, isn't it? Time of death, they were in water. Armored dinosaurs, 70% of all of them are found upside down because at the time of death, they were in. Hmm. You see where I'm going with that? Start with the word of God and then look at the signs that provides the clue to what happened back then. But does the Bible talk about dinosaurs? 
Well, the Bible tells us God made all land creatures on the sixth day. He made men on the sixth day. So with that, we know that dinosaurs were created on the sixth day together with men. So if sin did not enter the world, something like that could have been very possible. But is the word dinosaur in the Bible? No. Why not? See, the word dinosaur is actually a very new word. It was only coined in 1841 by Sir Richard Owen, less than 200 years ago. But the early uh, translations of the English Bible from Greek and Hebrew were hundreds of years before that. You see that, King James here, Geneva Bible? Hundreds of years before that. So obviously the word dinosaur will not be in there because the word was not yet coined. In the same way, you don't find words like airplanes and laptops in the Bible. Those words were not yet coined. But the Bible does describe an animal in Job chapter 40. That sounds like an animal that we may be referring to here. Right? So in Job chapter 40, God is describing an animal that Job was familiar with. Behold, now behemoth, which I made along with thee. He eats grass like an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loin. His force is in the navel of his belly. He moves his tail like a cedar. The seed nukes of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like brass of iron. He's chief of the way of God. What creature is this? This is a creature that Job was familiar with. And it says here that he moved his tail like a cedar. He's chief of the ways of God. The biggest land creature that God created has a tail like a cedar. What's a cedar? A huge tree. Okay, the cedar trees were used to build the pillars in King Solomon's palace. So what animal has a tail the size of a cedar tree? Biggest land creature that God created that eats grass like an ox. Hmm. You know, some Bible commentators, they put a footnote, behemoth at the bottom. Maybe it's an elephant, right? So let's tail the size of a cedar tree. Does that match? What about this? See, there's only one animal that fits this description perfectly. One of the long-necked several-pot dinosaurs. If you do not believe me, when you go to the zoo, take a few pictures for yourself. Is that a tree? What about that? This poor creature. <laughs> you see, there's only one animal that fits this. And when you start with the Word of God, that should change the way you look at dinosaurs. It's one of the long-necked cell-pot dinosaurs. So here's a question for you. When did Job live? Before the flood or after the flood? After the flood, how do we know that? There are a few passages in Job where God tells us that he had already judged the wicked with a worldwide flood. So if Job lived after the flood... And Job was familiar with dinosaurs. That means dinosaurs survived the flood, which means that dinosaurs had to be on the ark. Do you see how starting with the word of God again gives you a different picture of, different history of dinosaurs? So when I say that, people turn around and say, oh, come on, how can dinosaurs fit on the ark? And when they ask me that, I turn around, I say, can you tell me this? Can you tell me how many animals were there? How many dinosaurs were there? What was the average size of a dinosaur? How old were they and how big was the ark? And they turn around, they say they do not know. I say, if you cannot answer all these questions, how can you say that dinosaurs cannot fit on the ark? So let me try to answer these questions for you, shall we? See, in our minds, we have this picture. Oh, a dinosaur is so big, how can he fit, right? And indeed, some dinosaurs were really big. But many dinosaurs were really small, the size of turkeys. So here's a question for you. What was the average size of a dinosaur? If you take the big ones, the small one, the average size turns out to be about the size of a large cow. That's all. The big one makes the news all the time, but just the size of a large cow. That's not an issue. And here's a question for you. Is this a life-size dinosaur? Most people say no. But you see, even the biggest long-necked dinosaurs, the several-port dinosaurs, come from an egg about the size of a football. See, the egg cannot be too thick, otherwise oxygen cannot diffuse into the shell. So if they come from the size of football, the biggest dinosaur that come from it is about 15 inches. That's exactly the size you see here. So if the average size was the size of a large cow, and they were much younger when they were taken on board the ark, they would have been even smaller than that. See, we can know how fast dinosaur grows by looking at the bones. Dinosaur bones is interesting. They have growth rings, just like tree rings. 
So we know how much they grow at different stages of their life. And we know the dinosaur go through a growth spurt, just like us humans. You know, we reach puberty, we shoot up very fast. Dinosaurs the same way. They grow slowly, then they shoot up very fast, and then they taper off. They continue to grow, but they really taper off here and here. So this phrase here. Okay, we talk a lot, a, a lot more in our book about this. But one of the things notice is that if they're taken on board the when they're really young, they will be small. And after the flood, they will shoot up really, really fast. You can see here, 5,466 kg per year during this growth phase. But it's small for a long time, they shoot up, and then they stay at the big sizes. That's the way we know from science. See, many times we have this picture in our heads, right? A giraffe like sticking out from the ark, an elephant head there. That's not the ark of the Bible. The ark of the Bible is massive, it's huge. We're given the dimensions in Genesis, right? It's, it's a big ark. In fact, it has three decks, but it's as tall as a four-story high building. It's as long as one and a half football field size. It has a storage capacity of 522 railroad carts. So next time you're driving, you have to wait for a train to pass by. Imagine waiting for 522 carriages to go by. That's the storage capacity of the ark. It's massive. Here, right, you see this little dot here? That's humans for scale. Naval architects have looked at the ark, saying that it's so stable that if you put it in, in it can withstand up to three times hurricane force winds without capsizing. It's massive. So let's deal with another question. How many types of dinosaurs were there? How many biblical kind? And what's the biblical kind? See, the Bible tells us that when God created the creatures, he created them to reproduce after their own kinds. Right? More than 10 times in Genesis. So what's a biblical kind? Well, if they're reproducing after their own kind, that means if they hybridize, they have to be the same kind, right? So here's one. What's this? I'll give you a clue. It's the world's biggest cat. What's that? <coughs> it's a liger. Okay, it's a liger. It's a cross between a lion and a tiger. It tells you that they are from the same cat kind. So that's a liger. I wrote about this in Creation Magazine. You can take a liger, which is the world's biggest cat. You can cross it with a lion again to get a lie liger. You can take a leopard and a lion and get a leopard. That's here. So we know that the third cats that we see today are all the same cat kind. You may not be able to, from the small domestic cat to a big cat, you can't breed directly, but can breed through a series of steps to come down here. So we know that 39 species of cats that we see today are all from the cat kind. Do you follow with me? So this is the biblical definition of a kind. They reproduce after their own kinds. So with that in mind, how many kinds are there? And by the way, all these, they're given different species names, but they're all clearly from the same cat kind. Because species is really a man-made classification. And the Bible do tells us that animals pieced very quickly after the flood, according to their kind. So we see here, for example, this is in, in um, Genesis 15. So here is when Abraham was 75 years old, so 427 years after the flood. This is when God's making the covenant. And he said, Lord God, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an hefter of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Goats and ram, they can hybridize. Okay, so they're the same created kind, but by this time, they could be differentiated from one another. Turtle dove and young pigeons, they can hybridize today, but they could be differentiated from one another here as well. Here's another one in Job. Job 39, this is maybe 400 years after the flood, the time of the patriarchs. In Job 39, who has set out the wild ass free? Or who has loosened the bands of the wild ass? Here's the donkey, right? And then verse 19, has thou given the horse strength? Has thou clothed his neck with thunder? 400 years after the flood, donkeys, horse, zebras, they can all hybridize. You get a donkey, you get a zoss, and so on. But they could be differentiated from one another just 400 years after the flood. So rapid speciation after the flood according to their created kinds. You follow with me? So in the same way, here we have many different types of dinosaurs, but they're all from the Ceratopsian kind. So how many kinds of dinosaurs do we have? We have thousands of species, but it turns out only about 55 to 60 dinosaur kinds. Two of every kind, you're talking about 100 to 100 dinosaurs on board the ark. That's all. Remember the average size of a dinosaur, the size of a cow, if they're younger, they would be much smaller. There's more than enough space. You see, Noah did not have to take insects on board the ark. 
many of them could have survived on floating logs and debris. He did not have to take fish, and very likely many of the fish went extinct. See, God only told Noah to bring two of every land animal and bird that breathed air through their nostrils, and seven pairs of the clean ones. So if a kind is somewhere in between what we call a family and a genus, and we only take land creatures and birds, turns out if his family were 1,000, genus about 8,000, that's all. Two of every kind, 2,000 to 16,000 animals on board the ark. More than enough space. Okay, it's easy to fit these creatures in there. So let's look, what have we learned about that? We've seen that the Bible tells us God created creatures on the sixth day, about 6,000 years ago. They were created to eat plants. Some of them later on eat meat after sin entered the world. And they were taken on board the ark before Noah's flood. And they were on the earth after the flood with man. We saw that in Job. So then that raises another question. Do we have any evidence that people were familiar with these creatures and maybe they only went extinct in more recent years? So this is one I like a lot. This is uh, 3rd century BC in China. You have a wine basin or water basin here. And in this square basin here, do you see what's on the handles? What do you think that is? Let's zoom in. You see that? They call that a dragon, right? 3rd century BC. It looks very much like a Camarasaurus. What's interesting is this. It's on this thing, I have this book in my office. It's in Chinese. It catalogs all these ancient brass, uh, bronze artifacts. And you have this one that they call a long. In Chinese, long. Long is dragon. They call it a dragon. But when this book got translated into English and brought to the West, the translators changed their word. They no longer translated as dragon. They call that a long-necked feline. A cat. A long-necked cat. Does it look like a cat to you? <laughs> so why did the translators, when they translate that to the English version, change that to a cat? Well, I think it's because if they say it's a dragon, it's too obvious what it is, isn't it? So that is in China. Let's, leave China. Let's go to Cambodia. In Cambodia, we have the Angkor Wat Temple Complex. This is the world's biggest temple complex. It's a world heritage site. We know this is real. It's genuine. It's not a fake. And one of the temples in this complex is the Taprom Temple, built in the 12th century. And you have all kinds of animal engravings here. Water buffaloes, monkeys, swan parrots. You know. And in the center, we have that. What's that here? Let's zoom into that. What does that look like to you? Stegosaurus-like creature? How did they know how to draw something like that? If I actually have a cast made from that very same pillar here, you can take a look at that. I'll place this at a fossil display. Interesting is that skeptics come along. They say that that cannot be a dinosaur because obviously dinosaurs did not live with man. So they call that what? They say that has to be a chameleon. Is that a chameleon-looking creature to you? Look at the plates on the back. All right, and what's interesting is that Stegosaurus fossils are never found in Cambodia. So it's not like somebody could have dug it out and tried to reconstruct that. Even for the first hundred years, when you first find Stegosaurus fossils, they used to think that these vertical plates, they used to think it was flat, like armored pieces, like, like a turtle shell. So even back then, if somebody tried to forge it, they would have forged it wrongly. But all the way in the 12th century, people were already engraving creatures like this. Let's leave Cambodia, let's leave China, let's go to the UK. In UK, Kalau Cathedral, this is a church. In the 1500s, the, the, the cathedral was in the, in, the, in the 12th century, but in the 1500s, a minister of the church. And in those days when he died, they buried him under the floor of the choir. So this is stone. You go to the church, you lift up the carpet, you see it's stone. And this metal strip, we have animal engravings of bats, fish. Here you see a dog. And what's that? Two long-necked several-pot dinosaurs together. And what's interesting is the dinosaur on the left is different from the one on the right. The one on the left is a long-necked dinosaur with four spikes on its tail. There's only one long-necked several-pot dinosaur with four bellwood spikes on its tail. It's a Shunosaurus. We can actually identify the species just from the engraving itself. So if the evolutionary story of dinosaurs is true, this creature should have died out millions of years before human beings walked the earth. How could the images be engraved on a 500-year-old tomb in northern England? It's like this cartoon say, 
if people run around when dinosaurs were there, then who drew their pictures? So a lot of that is from this book, Dinosaurs and Man Together. Okay. So if dinosaur fossils, okay, so maybe they live after the flood, but don't the fossils themselves prove that they are millions of years old? Not really again. So here we look at this bone. This is found by Dr. Mary Schweitzer. She's an evolutionist, okay? And she took this bone that was so big. So she brought it to her lab. She broke it open. And guess what she found? She found dinosaur red blood cells. T-Rex red blood cells. How can that be millions of years old? And as they begin to dig in, into it more, they find it's not just T-Rex. You find it W dinosaurs, Triceratops, T-Rex. Time and time again, you can see that. There's red blood cells in there. And she dissolved away the minerals in the fossils. And what was left behind, she said, was flexible and resilient. When stretched, returned to its original shape. The red blood cells here, look at the soft tissue here. Original biomolecules, not fossilized yet. Look at this, this looks like, birth, like beef jerky, doesn't it? <laughs> she says this, it was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course, I couldn't believe it. I said to the lab technicians, the bones, after all, are 65 million years old. How could blood cells survive that long? Well, Dr. Swat, could it just be that maybe the bones are not 65 million years old? You see, she... She's an evolutionist and she's looking at these things before her in the very eye, before very eyes in the lab. And she cannot make sense of it because she has this idea of evolution that dinosaurs have to be 65 million years old. Scientists begin to look at more things. She actually finds bone cells. These are osteocytes, bone cells. You can even see the nucleus being stained in there. That's DNA there, all right? Depi stain test, very specific test for double helical DNA. It's there. She says these are just the ghost bumps. Because everybody knows these things don't last 65 million years. As the fossils dissolved, transparent vessels were left behind. It was totally shocking. I didn't believe it until we've done it 17 times. 17 times? Who does an experiment 17 times? You know why? It doesn't make sense if you're an evolutionist. After we had the data, I didn't publish for over a year. I was terrified because she knew that the moment she published this, her fellow scientists would begin to attack her. When was the last time you see a scientist being afraid to publish something? They want to publish because that's research funding. Publish this, her research funding was cut. And she said in another interview that she had only enough funds to continue her research for one and a half years more because she had funding from a private donor. Later on, of course, she was able to secure more funding. But look at that. Why would they cut her research funds? I think we all know the implications of soft tissue. This is Mary Schweitzer on 60 Minutes. Let's listen to what she says. What happened next happened by mistake. Mary put some fragments of the bone in acid to dissolve away the outermost layer of mineral. But the acid worked too fast and all the mineral dissolved away. Being a fossil, there should have been nothing left, but there was, and it was elastic, like living tissue. This is the piece. <gasps> no. She showed us video she took under the microscope. That's really what happened? Yes. That's the dinosaur yeah. bone? Without mineral now. That's what was left. It looked like the soft tissue she would have expected to find if it had been modern bone. Sample after sample, they were there. Things that looked suspiciously like flexible, transparent blood vessels. She finally mustered the courage to tell Jack. She said she dissolved the bone away and there were blood vessels. And you know, I was like shocked. I mean, how could that be? How could that be? That's right. The things Mary was finding inside dinosaur bones. Look at that. Blood vessels and even what seemed to be intact cells pose a radical challenge to the existing rules of science, that organic material can't possibly survive even a million years, let alone 68 million. Do you hear the irony in the last sentence? Right? Science tells us this thing cannot last for 68 million years. But do they question the age? 
No, they question the science, right? And uh, they begin to look at more and they find dinosaur protein as well. There's collagen in there. And collagen is quite a stable protein, but they find delicate proteins like elastin, laminin, in what they claim is a dinosaur bone that's 18 million years old. And later on, they find collagen, which is protein, in a bone that they claim was 195 million years. This is a huge problem because we can actually know the theoretical limit of how long these proteins take to break down. See, all we have to do is go into a lab. We can actually carry out experiments, operational science. And this, I think this figure is actually too generous. Okay, but this is the figure that is published by evolutionists themselves in their own journals. So we'll just use their figure. They say that even if you freeze it down, the maximum possible lifespan of collagen, 300,000 years to 900,000 years max, it'll be all gone. Because even if you freeze it down, the loss of thermodynamics still carry on. In fact, the, the bonds, chemical bonds, still break down over time. You can only slow it down, not stop it. And this is not even considering background radiation. Because background radiation will wipe out all biomolecules, all biomolecules in less than one million years. But even excluding background radiation, that's the upper limit. And dinosaurs, they live in freezing liquid nitrogen, right? They live in climates like ours, 15,000 years, it'll be all gone. Yeah, time and time again, we find dinosaur protein, including collagen. Mary Schweitzer says this, when you think about it, the laws of chemistry and biology and everything else that we know, say it should be gone. It should be degraded completely. Do you know what she's saying? Science tells us this thing shouldn't be there. Those skeptics come along and say, you creationists, you cannot, you do not know the science. You say God must have done it. You have a science of the gaps. Ever heard of that? It's actually the other way around. It's what we know from science that tells us these things cannot be that long. This is the evolutionist evolution of the gaps. Okay, they cannot, the science tells they cannot be there, but oh, some unknown science out there one day will help, help their understanding of evolution. That's blind faith. Okay? Just another well-known dinosaur expert. Bones do not have to be turned into stone to be fossils. And usually most of the original bone is still present in a dinosaur fossil. It's an evolutionist. Okay, most dinosaur bones still have some original material in there. So if you look at <coughs> all these circular scientific papers, and we're talking about top scientific journals, like, like Nature, Plus One, and things like that, how many circular papers of dinosaur original soft tissue do we have? Soft tissue meaning original biomolecules. You want to make a guess? 59 documented cases. Okay, this was 58, two days ago, I have updating it because it, every few months you find a new one. I actually maintained a database with Dr. Brian Thomas where we catalogued every single one of these um, circular papers out there that find original biomolecules. And just a few days ago, I have to update this. Every few months, it keeps increasing. 59 documented cases of dinosaur soft tissue spanning 31 scientific journals. It's not one or two examples. And if you don't just take dinosaur bones, what if you look at extinct birds and, and reptiles and um, what if we take um, what they claim are false bacteria and things like that. Turns out we have 120 cases of biomaterials in total. So using the evolutionary dates, which we know is, isn't true, right? What do you think is the oldest sample that we have? Using the evolutionary dates, the oldest sample, you see here, 2.5 billion years old and you still have original biomolecules in there. Do you know what that means? You know the evolution, they believe the deeper the further back in time you go, you're going down. After they can find 2.5 billion years old. You still have original biomolecules in there. You still believe that's millions of years old or billions of years old? That's being unscientific. If you still want to say that it's billions of years old, I have news for you, you are being unscientific. Good science supports the Bible. So dinosaur soft tissue, which history does that fit best with? The word of God, recent creation. Dr. Schweitzer says this, so that leaves us with two alternatives for interpretation. Either the dinosaurs aren't as, low, aren't as old as we think they are, or maybe we don't know exactly how these things get preserved. But we already show you, science tells us we know these things cannot be that old. So what's the other alternative? They're young, right? 
scientists have done carbon dating of dinosaur bones. It turns out that they contain carbon-14, which means they're young. Here, this paper, actually, uh, Brian Thomas, the one that maintains a database with me, he went on to do his PhD looking at ancient collagen. And he actually covered carbon-14. This is done by Circular Lab as well. You can actually get a PhD in this area. Just another one. More carbon if they contain carbon-14, it means it's young. Because carbon-14, you know, to get the idea of millions of years, they use all kinds of methods, like potassium, argon, all those things I mentioned in the first talk. Right? Make sure it doesn't work. But carbon-14 is interesting because it has a very short half-life. So the half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years. So what's that? It just means it decays so quickly that if any fossil is more than 100,000 years, it will not contain any carbon-14. If the whole Earth is one solid piece of carbon-14, in one million years, it will all decay away. But when we carbonate dinosaur bones, we find carbon-14. They are young. We carbonate coal, oil. It's there. It's young. We carbonate diamonds. Diamonds are interesting because the bonds are so tight that contamination cannot happen. They contain carbon-14. They are young. And then to date, we have three separate tests that's actually found dinosaur DNA. In fact, what we, we saw earlier on, the, the staining of the, the... This is a DAPI stain test. So this molecule uh, will give you a positive result because it cleaves into the minor groove of the double helical DNA. Okay, so when you get that, we know that there's double helical DNA of a certain length in there. We have at least three papers finding dinosaur DNA. DNA, we all know, is very unstable, right? It breaks down quickly. And using evolutionary numbers, dinosaurs, 6.8 million years, all DNA should be gone. And if they live in climates like ours in 22,000 years, there should not be any DNA left. But yet we find dinosaur DNA. And so a creation ministry will say DNA stands for Dinos Not Ancient. So we have to look at a lot of things today. We see that the discoveries of fossilized dinosaur soft tissue, DNA and radiocarbon is a huge problem for evolution and the idea of millions of years. So let us sum up our talk today. What have we learned today? Four points, B, C, D, and E, so easy to remember. So B, we look at the Bible. Job chapter 40, the Bible clearly is describing a dinosaur after the flood. We also see centuries of dinosaur artifacts. Dinosaurs once lived together with men. They survived the flood and they only went extinct in more recent years. We see dinosaur fossils, the way they are found. Dinosaur bone baits, dinosaur eating mammals, eating birds, eating grass, mammals eating dinosaurs. Um, dinosaur bone baits, the next band backwards, armored dinosaurs upside down time and time again all over the world. The fossils testify to a worldwide flood. And then we see evidence of a young earth. Original biomolecules, radiocarbon and DNA. The earth is young. Friends, the Bible can be trusted. Do you now see why we call dinosaurs missionary lizards? Train yourself. You can use this. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs is a tool that's been used to promote the idea of evolution. But when you train yourself with all this, you can use this as a stepping stone to reach out to your families and your kids. See, the reason why many people do not know this is that they do not get to hear all this information. They only hear one side of the story. And that's where you come in. But there's another group of people here who maybe have heard all this and they harden their hearts and they choose not to believe. Why? Here's a very well-known atheistic philosopher. And he made, he made this statement. He said, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there's no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Why? Because if there's a God... There's a creator, we are his creation. If there's a creator, one day we are going to stand before God to give an account for our lives. We cannot live our life any way we choose. We have to live our life for God. There are consequences to ideas. But you can choose to be like a guy, cover your eyes and say that. Choose to believe that there's no God because I don't want that. But that doesn't change the thing, isn't it? If God is there, the creator, we are his creation, one day, we are going to stand before him to give an account for our life. And maybe you're sitting here for many years. 
You have never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, this is the most important thing you can do for yourself. Live for the Lord. Trust. Believe in Him. Because there are eternal consequences to this. Romans 1, it says this, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they... For the reasons I gave in the previous session, uh, then next, the Creation Answers book, where we have about one whole chapter, chapter 19, on just dinosaurs as well. And this one is probably the one I'm most excited in, excited in, that's Titans. And this book is actually uh, just released about slightly over one week ago, and that's written by Dr. Jonathan Safati, who has spoken here before in the past, and, and me together. And this is actually one of, um, a book I'm most excited about, it's our most comprehensive book about dinosaurs from the creation perspective written for high school and above. But it's not technical, we make it easy to understand. So if you're interested to know a lot about dinosaurs, highly recommend this book. So I don't have time to cover today. What about feathered dinosaurs? Wonder about that? Two whole chapters discuss, discussing that. Do feathered dinosaurs? Right? And a lot of other interesting information in there. If you have younger kids, upper elementary and above, this is one that I really like a lot as well, Exploring Dinosaurs with Mr. Heaps. A lot of funny cartoons that you saw is from this book as well. And here's something slightly different. Uh, this is Dismantled. This is probably one of the best DVD dealing with human, um, like Neanderthals and Lucy and human DNA. Did we come from the apes and so, from ape-like creatures and so on? Right? So the humans come from Australopithecines. This was in the movies, I think, just last year. We only have a few copies of this. It's in a sleeve. I think it's selling for 4 or $5. So if you want it to be fast on this as well, highly recommend it. So we have looked at all these dinosaurs today. I hope that was beneficial for you today. And I would like to end off with this one verse. It says in the Bible, the sum of your word is truth. Friends, let's start with the word of God because that's the key to understanding the world and science around us. Thank you. <laughs>